0: When we are given an opportunity to do certain things, depending on what that opportunity is, our motivation levels can vary quite greatly. We can either be very quick or very slow to respond to the opportunity. For example, we're usually very quick to do things we enjoy while slow to do things we don't. Here's some examples. A take-home assignment in school. How motivated are you to get that done? Not much, right? We don't like to do it, so we take our time, or we procrastinate, put it off. On the other hand, if I said there are free beaver tails downstairs for the first 20 people to get there, <laughs> some of you would bolt out of your seats right now and probably trample some people on the way to getting your free treats, right? <laughs> or you know those little... Postcards we get from dentist offices. (laughs) Time for your next cleaning. Just call the office to schedule your next appointment. We have a lot of motivation to respond to those, don't we? (laughs) But say you got a phone call from your best friend offering you to come over for dinner tonight. We'd be very quick to respond, sure, I'd love to be there. We prioritize what matters to us. We really do. Today, as we come to God's Word, we're going to see some things that we are often either very quick to do or very slow to do. We've begun going through the book of James together, and through this great book, we're going to see something today that needs to be one of the highest priorities, if not the highest priority in our Christian walk. This is quite possibly the most important part of the book of James. It gets right to the heart of of what James wants us to learn and do throughout the whole book, if you have your Bibles or you have the pew Bibles in front of you, please turn with me to James chapter one and we'll be beginning in verse nineteen. In your pew Bibles, it's page one thousand and eleven. And as we turn these pages, let's ask God to come and illuminate His word to us this morning. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, as the song said, to receive the food. your holy word. I pray that you would feed us, that you would plant it in us, that it would grow in our lives, and that we would learn to apply it better. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this book of James was written by the earthly brother of Jesus, James, who became a pastor in Jerusalem in the time of the early church. The past two weeks we we started this book and we saw a test that we all go through in our lives, called the testing of our faith. And we saw that this test happens through trials that come into our life, hard times, difficult seasons, as well as temptations that, that come into our lives and we're tempted to follow, and it's a te- all a test of our faith. And we saw how last week, in the midst of temptation, that we have to remember how sinful we are and how generous God is. It gets us in the right perspective to see things. And speaking of God's generosity, he comes to verse 18, and he says, we read this last week, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And through this verse, we saw that God gave us new life. He gave us the truth. He called us his own. And then we come to the passage we're in today, and James is thinking about this, mulling over his head. Okay, God's word gave us new life. And he feels the need to delve deeper into this idea, the word of truth, thinking that the people he's writing to really need to understand the importance of God's word. And I'd say this is something that very, is very important to us today as well. If you remember, just last month, we took a few weeks to study through Psalm 119, and this psalm was all about God's word, and the scriptures, the Bible, and we talked about Delighting in God's Word, internalizing God's Word, studying it, applying it to our lives. We're going to come back to that topic again today. Not to be repetitive, but to emphasize the importance of applying God's Word to our lives. So we come today to verse 19. And this is what James says. And follow along with me. In verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. So he says, let every person do this. This is something that every person on earth should do with their lives. Many don't, and many won't, but it doesn't change the fact that they should. What should everyone do? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you probably say, wait a minute, I thought you just said he's going to focus on God's word. But he seems to be focusing on our speech and our anger here. Is he, though? I don't believe that those are his focus. We'll talk about these things in a minute, but I believe that these are side issues that are related to his main point. And his main point revolves around God's word. Remember, this comes right after verse 18, where he says, God's word gave us new life. And then he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. To hear what? Maybe God's word? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And look what comes next in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. God's word literally surrounds and permeates these verses. And James is going to go into depth, more depth in the verses that follow as well. Here's what I believe James' main point in these verses is, though. And it's in your notes. Humbly hearing God's word should be a high priority for us. Maybe that doesn't say it's strong enough, but humbly hearing God's word should be a high priority for us. James is like, anger doesn't produce righteousness. God's word does, so pay attention to that. Humbly hearing or listening to God's word should be an extremely high priority for us. Like I just said, in these verses, James is talking about hearing God's word. While the command in verse 19 to be quick to hear and slow to speak would be a good social skill to have, James has in mind much more than just telling us to be good listeners in general. He wants us to specifically be good listeners to God's word. You could perhaps rephrase this point in a funny way as, shut up. And listen. Shut up and listen. Read with me again, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant weakness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Do you have selective hearing? <laughs> If you don't know what I mean by selective hearing, think back to when you were a child. I know I had selective hearing as a child, and I'm pretty sure you did as well. But this would be, say, one of my parents would shout across the house for me to come do some work in the yard. It was very easy easy for me to conveniently not hear that for a while, right? On the other hand, if they but whispered the words, Ice cream. (laughs) I could hear that a mile away. (laughs) Now, I want you to ask yourself, do you have selective hearing when it comes to Scripture? Do you have selective hearing when it comes to Scripture? Hearing the things that you want to hear and tuning out what you don't. Maybe thinking, whenever Pastor Matt brings up that topic, I ignore it. Maybe thinking, I don't want to hear about my problems when I come to church. Or, I wish Jesus never said that. But on the other hand, God is love. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's good stuff. (laughs) Pastor Matt, I really needed to hear that today. Well, duh, (laughs) you and I both need to hear everything that God has to say. Some of you are thinking, okay, I need to listen to God's word. Okay, I'm here today, I'm listening to a sermon from God's word, point accomplished. Well, sort of. Yes, listening to sermons would be a form of hearing God's word, for sure. But do you really hear God's word? Do you listen intently to what he's telling you? Do you hear God's word also at other times other than Sunday morning? You'll know that you do if it's developing righteousness in your life. That's the reason James tells us to watch out for the opposite of hasty speech and anger. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we can ask, well, why does James talk about these things here? It seemed kind of random, random that he would talk about our speech and our anger. Well, this is the first mention of our speech in the book, but that will become a very major theme of the book of James later on. We, I just say today, though, we like to hear our own words, But do we like to hear God's word to us? Some people think that James is specifically talking about anger here as anger against God's word. The idea that God's word tells you to do something or not to do something, and we get angry that God would even suggest things like that. That's possible, but I think James has something simpler in mind. That he's simply comparing some things that don't produce righteousness with that which does produce righteousness. There's a negative and a positive admonition. Put away all this and receive this. By righteousness, James very simply means the things that please God. Living in a way to please God. Other translations say the righteous life that God desires. This is kind of a no-brainer question. Ask yourself, do you want to please God? You want to please God with your life? Children naturally want to please their parents. People naturally want to please their Creator. If we have no desire whatsoever to please God, then either I'd say we don't believe Him at all, or we have a very wrong perspective of who God is and what He wants of us. I think that most of us do have, at least if it's small, that's okay, but we have at some kind of desire to please our Creator. And James says, if you want God to be pleased with you, you have to have a righteous life. And to live a righteous life, we've got to avoid speech, wrong speech and anger. We have to hear and receive, on the other hand, God's Word to us. Now, some of you might have a question when he talks about anger and think, well, what about righteous anger? right? Is there such a thing as righteous anger? Well, James doesn't necessarily forbid all kinds of anger here. He's talking in a very proverbial way, in general terms, that man's anger doesn't please God. It's theoretically possible that we could be righteously angry at sin or injustice in our world, okay? But I think that that's a bit of a straw man argument here. It's whether or not you can be angry for a good cause, it distracts from the point that most of our anger is not righteous anger. It's a distraction. Most of our anger is completely self-focused. We get hurt, we get insulted, we get offended, we get cheated, we get wronged. So we get angry, selfishly and sinfully. It's a dangerous thing to be angry at all. And James says in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21 begins with a therefore. Therefore, because these things don't please God, here's how you can. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. These two terms are meant to literally include every kind of sin. So any kind of sin you can think of, any kind of wrong thing, they're included in this, in filthiness and rampant wickedness. And by putting away, James doesn't mean something to the effect of putting away a dish or putting away a toy or putting away a book only to pull it out again later. Doesn't mean that. No, his this term is more of the idea of throw it out in the garbage. Get rid of it. Forever. Put it away. So you want to please God with a righteous life. He says, number one, put away your sin. Put it away. And number two, receive God's word. That's what he says. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness. And number two, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want you to notice exactly what James is trying to get us to do. He's basically explaining the actions of the gospel. Did you see that? How are our souls saved by the word of God? Because the word shows us God's mercy and grace for our sins. Okay, that's how we're saved from from our sins. And what are we told to do in order to receive that grace all throughout scripture? We're told to repent of our sins. Turn away from them. That sounds familiar. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And we're told to receive God's grace. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Repent and receive. Ultimately, the only way we can be righteous And fully please God with our lives is to trust that Jesus' righteousness stands in place of our own. That's the only way, because our righteousness will fall short time and time and time again. We can't fully do it. You might have noticed that no matter how hard we try to please God with our lives, no matter how hard we work, we just keep sinning instead. We keep falling on our faces, disappointing and offending God, when what we want to do is please Him. There is no question that we are wicked. If you doubt me, just read a little bit earlier. Read what we read last week that James told us. But Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived a completely righteous and perfect life in order to meet God's requirements of righteousness. That's why he lived that life. And then he bled and died on the cross to bear God's wrath against our sin. Not his own because he didn't have any. Then he rose from the dead to give us new life by his grace. Have you received this unbelievable grace from God before? Grace that says, You are filthy but I'll make you clean. You are wicked, but I'll make you righteous. You are condemned to die, but I'll save your soul. That's grace. You haven't received this grace before, you can today, and we'd love to show you how. Just come talk to me after the service. We'd love to talk you through it. The word of truth really can save your soul. Just like James says here, it's able to save you. Now remember, as we come to this passage, James is primarily talking to people who are already Christians here. And so his command here is to Christians to keep putting away filthiness and wickedness. Even once we're saved, keep putting it away. For you, this may mean permanently stopping saying certain things. It may mean ceasing to watch or, or look at things that you know are filthy. Put away all filthiness. Or putting away the right to become angry when someone hurts you or cheats you. And the positive side of the command is to keep hearing and receiving the word of God. Keep doing this. In meekness would mean in humility or humbly This means letting God's Word be the ultimate authority in your life. This might begin by making God's Word a part of your life to begin with. Or it might mean making God's Word reading, listening, meditating, memorizing, whatever. Making it the highest priority to you. God's Word is what saved you, and it is what will continue to sanctify you as you go towards heaven you notice that James uses a little adjective to describe God's word in verse 21? It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. The implanted word. It's a picture of a tree or a plant being planted in the ground. And that's how God's word is to be in our lives. Implanted there. Permanently. Growing there. What? Let me ask you, what does a, a plant that is planted in the ground do to that ground? It develops roots. It right? starts spreading out, affecting the ground around it. In an old house of my family's, I remember a time that one particular toilet in our house was having issues. And the toilet would clog up over seemingly nothing. And, and we just couldn't figure out what was wrong with this toilet. Until one day, a neighbor came over and helped us make a discovery. He probed deep into the toilet's piping, as gross as that was, And he discovered a very large tree root that had come up, broken through the pipe, and was clogging everything that was trying to make its way down. The crazy thing was that this tree that the root was from was a long way away from our house. And so we never expected it to come that far. But the tree's root system had permeated the whole yard and eventually started impacting even our plumbing inside. It was crazy. The point in sharing the story, though, is that roots... Make their way everywhere. They impact everything. Has God's word, his implanted word, made that kind of difference in your life? That Are there roots from God's word making their way into your work life, your school life, your social life, your finances, your entertainment, your play, the way you speak? I like the picture that the message Uh, translation draws here. It says, In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word. Are you letting God landscape you with his word? Here's the thing though. Those kind of roots will never happen only by hearing God's word. That's the first step. But that's not all. If we ended the sermon here, it would just encourage us all to become pew warmers. That coming here on a Sunday and listening to a sermon would be the end goal in and of itself. But it's not. See, hearing God's word should be a very high priority for us, but hearing God's word must lead to diligently doing God's word. We have to go deeper than just hearing. We must act upon it accordingly. Hearing God's word must lead to diligently doing God's word. Read with me. We'll start in verse 21 and go on to verse 22. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You can stop there. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? It would mean to do what it tells us to do. Very simple. Verse 21 in the NIV says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If the first point could have been summarized as shut up and listen, this verse or this passage could be summarized as don't just listen, do something. Don't just listen, do something. Mark Dever says that bold obedience comes from humble hearing. The more humble the hearing, the more bold the obedience. James says in verse 21 that if we hear the word but don't do it, we deceive ourselves. How do we deceive ourselves? Well, we deceive ourselves to think we're doing well spiritually. I've been to church for... 240 straight Sundays. God must be pleased with me. Or come up to me and say, Pastor Matt, if I ever miss a sermon of yours, I listen to it online. I'm doing well. Or maybe when it comes to reading the Bible, I've read through the Bible in one year, the entire thing. God has to be happy with that. Well, no. No. We're deceiving ourselves. God isn't pleased unless we put it into practice. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. If you read and study and meditate on God's word, that's good. Those are good things. But it's practically worthless if you don't act upon what you hear in those pages. What James would say is that it's crazy to hear and to not act. He uses one of his most vivid and also most famous illustrations here. Read with me again in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, so there's a picture of a mirror here. Let me ask you, why do you look at a mirror after you get up in the morning? I think everyone here does it. Why do we do that? It's usually to improve our appearance in some way, to make sure you look presentable to the world around you. Maybe to rub the sleep out of your eyes or to brush your teeth, make sure that no zits blossomed overnight. <laughs> Ladies maybe to put makeup on or to fix your hair. Guys, to shave or to fix your ties? Plenty of reasons we look into a mirror. Now imagine with me that you looked into a mirror this morning and you saw a sad-looking individual out of one of your nightmares. <laughs> the hair was crazy. There was sleep in your eyes, dark circles underneath them. There was stuff in your teeth, maybe some dried drool on your beard. Or <laughs> maybe the hair growing from your face was long and unkept. That's, a, that's maybe a problem for guys, definitely a problem if you're a lady. But, <laughs> but imagine that you saw that, okay? And you gave a little gasp, and then immediately you turned around, left the room, left the house, and forgot what you saw. Crazy, right? You would never do that. If you saw those kinds of flaws in your appearance, you would do something about it. Whether that be shower or comb your hair, brush your teeth, shave, put makeup on, whatever. You wouldn't just walk out the door like that. That would be insane. And James says that's how crazy it is to hear God's word and not do anything about it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's a crazy picture. Have you ever thought of God's Word as a mirror before? You ever thought of that? The point of describing God's Word as a mirror is that when we look into the Word, it shows us what we're like. That's the point of the illustration. When we look into the mirror, it shows us what we're like. Just like a physical mirror reveals our physical image, God's Word reveals our, spirit, or our spiritual image. If I came up to you randomly today and asked you, Have you looked in a mirror lately? (laughs) You'd probably be horrified (laughs) and think, Why? What's wrong? But what if I asked you, Have you looked in the mirror lately? How would you feel? I think that we unconsciously think that our physical image is much more important. That are spiritual. When really the exact opposite is the case. If you walk away from a mirror and without doing anything about your appearance, unless it's a major issue, you're likely to forget what you've seen. Your day's activities will steal your attention. You'll forget your blemishes. At least that's the way it works for guys. They just don't care that much. For ladies, they would probably remember that pimple all day. But that's... James's point here is men or women, doesn't matter. don't forget what you look like. Don't forget that. Do something about it. When you look into God's Word and it reveals your spiritual life, don't walk away from the mirror and forget what you look like. Do you ever feel like when you hear a sermon or read God's word, your flaws just come to the surface? You feel that way sometimes? That's because that's what God's word does. It shows us our sin, our issues. But more importantly, it shows us our desperate need for a Savior from those sins. Who lifts us up out of those sins, forgives our faults, makes us clean. Another issue that comes up when we consider the Bible as a mirror is that it's very easy for us to read Scripture and see a picture of someone else, instead of ourselves. Jay Vernon McGee, a commentator writer, commentary writer, tells a legendary story of an old mountaineer in Tennessee. A real redneck for you, okay? He and his wife didn't know much about all the modern conveniences. And one day, he was in around his house, and some tourists had been camping around his area. And after they left, he went and looked at their campsite and found a mirror that one of them had forgotten to pack. And he had never seen a mirror before, let alone his reflection so well. So he he picked up the mirror, looked into it, and he thought it was a picture of his father because he looked so much like his father had years before. And so he thought, well, I never knew my daddy had his picture taken. And he loved that picture. He thought it was great. So he took it home and he went to store the picture under his bed. Picture, under his bed. Well, his wife saw him do this and got suspicious. Why is he putting a picture under his bed? So after he had left, she went in, pulled out the mirror, looked into it, and said, so that's the old hag he's been running around with. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, when we look at a mirror, especially God's Word, it's easy to see someone else's reflection instead of our own. Have you ever left church and thought, wow, Pastor Matt preached a great sermon today. Everything he said applies to someone I know. (laughs) I know I have. (laughs) Maybe you felt that way today as we talked about anger, thinking so-and-so really needed to hear this. They are so angry all the time. (laughs) And you became distracted from examining yourself, considering whether you might possibly have a problem It may very well be that so-and-so needed to hear it, but listen closely. When you hear God's Word, when you read the Word, it's a picture of you. Maybe it will be an encouraging picture, maybe not so encouraging. But first and foremost, God's Word is a mirror for seeing ourselves, examining ourselves in light of it. Now, as we come to the conclusion of a sermon all about making sure we apply God's Word, you might ask, well, what should we do now? How do we put this into practice, what we've heard today? Well, the Holy Spirit may have already convicted you of something to do. Maybe something about your speech or your temper or your attitudes concerning God's Word. Or maybe you need to think back to your personal Bible study lately. What has God shown you through reading His Word that maybe you've forgotten? Or ignored. Or think about, if you can't think of that, think of something that we've looked recently on a Sunday at through Scripture. Maybe last month you were challenged to develop more of a delight in God's Word. Did you do anything about it? Maybe you were challenged to memorize or practically meditate on Scripture. Have you done anything to apply that? Perhaps you've been challenged over the last few weeks to share your faith with a friend. Did you do what God convicted you to do? Maybe in the past two weeks a trial has come into your life. Something to test your faith. I know this is the case for some of you because you've told me this. Have you tried applying the beginning of this chapter that we looked at, counting the trial as a joy? God's Word is so vast and so convicting and so practical that there can be any number of things that God has wanted you to do from it. What should we do? No matter what the context of hearing God's Word, we need to always, always, always seek to put it into practice. We have to. And if you ask, well, what's our motivation for doing this? Why should I want to apply God's Word? James gives us an incredible motivation to do this in the final verse for today. Read with me in verse 25. But the one, contrasting the one who, who looks in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. He'll be blessed in His doing. If we do God's word, faithfully apply it to our lives, God promises to bless us. Do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want to be blessed in your spiritual life so that it's robust and healthy and so that it actually makes an impact to the world around you? Do you want God to bless your efforts to reach out to those around you with the gospel? Do you want God to bless your service to your church or your community? Do you want God to bless your family life, your social life, your work life? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed In his doing. The blessing is attached to the action. If you want to be blessed by God, you're not going to get it by sitting here and listening to me ramble. You'll be blessed when you do what God tells you to do. You notice that James calls God's word here the law of liberty. The perfect law, the law of liberty. By the law, he's not only referring to the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. He's referring to all inspired scripture which at the time of this writing would have been almost exclusively the Old Testament. But this very much applies to all Scripture, even that which came after James. I'm not going to go into depth on that term of the idea of the law of liberty, because James himself is going to go into much more depth in a couple weeks. But we don't often think of the law as something that brings liberty. Maybe something that brings bondage or oppression But James says that God's law actually brings liberty, or freedom. There is freedom in following God's instructions. And he says that we need to persevere in doing this. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, keeps doing it diligently, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. In his doing. Don't get me wrong. Applying God's word can be hard work. It can be. But the last thing I want you to do today is to feel inspired to leave here and try harder. No, trying harder would be worthless. We need to rely harder on God to work through us. Rely harder on His grace to help us do this. If God puts something on your heart that you should do it, do it. Don't live in disobedience to God's word. That's not freedom. But remember, when we look into God's word, we're looking into the law of liberty. And you ask, well, what if I haven't persevered in doing God's word in my life? Welcome to the club. We all haven't. We need to persevere in this. We need to keep doing it. But when we fail, there's grace. When we fail, there's grace. If you feel like you've been a failure in this area, maybe you have been. But there's grace. Hallelujah, we follow the law that brings freedom instead of bondage. As we close I just want you to take a minute and look into the mirror of God's Word. Look at what we studied today. Take your Bibles. What do you see? What do you see? How do you look? Do you like how you look? Better question, does God like how you look? How's your hearing of God's Word? And how's your doing of God's Word? Are there things that need to be changed before walking away from the mirror? You don't need to change all kinds of things at once. The Christian life is a journey, taking one step at a time. What is one thing that the Spirit has convicted you of today that you can begin to make changes in your life, today or this week? As you go today, don't forget what you look like. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Francis Bacon, a pioneer of the modern scientific method, but also a faithful follower of Christ in his day. And he says this, It is not what men eat, but what they digest, that makes them strong. Not what we gain, but what we save, that makes us rich. Not what we read, but what we remember, that makes us learned. And not what we preach, but what we practice, that makes us Christians. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be people who, so to speak, practice what we preach. That when we come to your word and you convict us, that we would humbly and faithfully choose to follow you in that. By your grace, we ask you to do this. Because, God, we can't do it on our own. We'll fail. We know that. We'll fall. Please keep sanctifying us, helping us become more faithful followers of you we ask this in Christ's name in Christ alone in Jesus name amen